Luke chapter 9. Um, Luke chapter 9, if you would please stand uh, for the reading of the text. Luke chapter 9, thanks again, bro, for the opportunity to preach. Sure do. I don't take it lightly. Sure does mean a lot. Luke chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 1 just to understand the context. We will read through verse number 9. Our primary focus will be verse 7, 8, and 9. So, but I want you to understand kind of the setting that's going on. In verse number one, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece and whatsoever house ye enter into there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Hey, the, the work of Jesus is moving forward. Amen. Remember that thought. Yes. It's not slowing down. Yes. It is moving. By the way, it's still moving today. Yes. I understand you look around and you're like, man, the news articles are crazy and the direction of our country is awful and the fabric is being torn apart. But the kingdom of God isn't being slowed down. It's moving. Hallelujah. So in verse 7, now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him and he was perplexed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead and of some that Elias had appeared. And of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Notice just the beginning of verse number 10. And the apostles when they were returned not to Herod to Jesus told him all that they had done. And he took them away. So the thought tonight is this. The title is this. Dealing with the despots. Okay, the word, de, some people pronounce it despot. I have a bad habit of mispronouncing words, so I look it up sometimes. And they say to pronounce it despot. And so if that bothers you, please ask God right now to help you get over it. Because I'm going to say that word a lot tonight. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, I'm thankful that I get to be with people that I care about people that I love, and, but most of all, what matters in these moments is that you love them, God, the guests, the people that are traveling, the church family that's here. You are very deeply interested in their life. And Father, you've used this passage to be a help to me, and I pray that you would use it to be a help to your people tonight. I, I do know that it's been a long week, and I pray that you would help this to be concise in, in an appropriate way but also to be effective, God, and help us to hear from you. I, I pray that you would help me. I'm an imperfect vessel. So please do a good work as only you are able to. Nothing good happens in this time without you. So make it useful, please. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. When Herod the Great, who ruled during the time of Jesus' birth, when he died, his kingdom was divided into four parts. You notice um, in verse number seven, Herod the Tetrarch, 
The title Tetrarch refers to someone who rules a fourth part of a certain area or a certain kingdom. And so when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided into four parts. Now, one part was ruled by a man that little is known about in history as far as I can tell, named Lysanias. The three other parts were ruled by his three sons, Archelaus, Philip, and then Herod Antipas that we read about here. Now like many rulers throughout history, Herod Antipas was a self-serving, self-centered, arrogant leader who primarily used the throne not for the welfare of the people that he ruled, but for his own agenda and for his own gratification. And violence to him was simply a tool to accomplish his purpose and to enrich himself and to preserve himself. He wasn't concerned about righteousness. He wasn't concerned about welfare. He was only concerned about what he wanted and what he desired and what gratified him in the moment. And it shouldn't be hard for you to connect that kind of leadership with the kind of leadership that we see in, mo in the modern world and even in America today. And, and I understand that, that you bring up the issue of politics, and this is not a political message, but you bring up the issue of politics, and we can get really passionate about certain candidates and certain parties, but if you look at the whole, the entire political spectrum of America, you see these, these tendencies infecting the entire political spectrum to varying degrees. It is a narcissism and a selfishness that has no regard for the welfare of the people over which they are to be caring for, but rather it's this self-preservation that is only concerned with self-gratification. And there are two examples from Herod Antipas that confirm this. Number one, he was living with his brother Philip's wife. Number two, and you can say, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. No, it's a big deal because God says that kind of behavior is wrong and violates his truth. And anything that God says is wrong and violates his truth, whether a culture is shocked by it or not, it is a big deal to the eternal God. And so that was one. The second thing was this, that when a preacher named John the Baptist began to confront the wickedness of Herod's life as it related to having a relationship with his brother's wife, then rather than responding to that as the confrontation of God, he chose to simply silence the voice of the prophet and through the manipulation of his live-in girlfriend and her daughter, he had John the Baptist executed. So this is how you describe, this is a word that you would use to describe a leader like Herod. A despot. It's someone who holds absolute power and uses it in often cruel and oppressive ways for their own gain. So Herod hears about the work that's going on through Jesus Christ. And so it talks about, I mean, by the time we get to chapter 8, 
Thousands of miracles have been done. Maybe even, and you just got to remember the, the, the things that it says in the Gospel of John, how that if everything that Jesus did were written down, the world itself couldn't contain the scrolls. So maybe we're somewhere, we're getting close to somewhere around the halfway point of Jesus' ministry here. And so by this time, maybe it's hundreds of thousands of miracles. You can say, how can that be possible? Because he's God and he spent his earthly ministry just doing good for other people to affirm that he's the son of God. And so the word is spreading. And now in the beginning of chapter 9, he has sent out these disciples, these apostles, to go and to carry the work. And by the way, God, God wants to involve his people in his work, man. It's just such, a, such an amazing thought that God would take us and empower us with his power for the purpose of doing his work and taking his name and his truth. So that the same way he used, he himself changed people's lives, we can deliver the message that can change people's lives. Man, it's so... It's so awesome. You're like, well, I'm not a pastor. Yeah, but you're a child of God, and you've got the same Holy Ghost of God and the same Word of God and the same access to God to be used of God. Man, it's just exciting stuff. So he sends them out. Well, Herod is hearing about this. And there's two things about a vain despot that are constantly on their mind. you got to get this. We've referenced it. Number one, they always want to be entertained. It speaks to that narcissism and that gratification. They, they have a desire to be pleased. They have a desire to see something that fascinates them. Number two, they're always suspicious and wary of their power being threatened and their control being taken away from them. And so he hears about these miracles and he has this, this concern going on inside of him. Man, what, what is going on? I, I cannot explain. And so the text says, notice this. In verse number nine, he desired to see him. Now, some people might say, man, why didn't Jesus go to see him? Seems like a great witnessing opportunity. No, 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 no. Herod was a reprobate. In just about another year and a half-ish, or maybe a couple years, something like that, Jesus would be with Herod. And Herod had no interest in the truth. Now, this wasn't a spiritual appetite on the part of Herod. This was an idle curiosity about something that fascinated him. And it was a, an insecurity about a cultural force that might undermine his control and his welfare in the throne. Which is why he had John the Baptist executed in the first place. And so I just want to take a moment and notice three observations about how... These disciples and specifically how Jesus interacted with this despot, that can be an encouragement to us. Number one, despots do make following Jesus difficult. <laughs> ask John the Baptist. Ask Stephen. Um, ask the others who would face persecutions of different kinds because of the tyranny of the day. No, despots can make following Jesus difficult and that oppression and that self-centeredness. It does make it hard to follow Jesus. By the way, Jesus never said that following him was going to be easy. He did not describe taking up his cross as a bed of Twinkies and milkshakes and roses. No, it's a cross because it's going to be hard. There is adversity in following Jesus Christ when, they're, when we are surrounded by spiritual despotism. Despots make following Jesus difficult. Number two, despots can stop a voice 
but they cannot stop the work of Jesus. Okay, here's the truth. I can be arrested, locked up, executed, whatever a power greater than me would choose to do. That, that is true. But the work of Jesus is always bigger than one man. The work of Jesus is always bigger than one family. The work of Jesus is always bigger than one church. And it's good for you to remember this, that the work is going on in a lot of places you don't know about. Sometimes we can just feel like the news is always so negative and the view is just so pessimistic. But God has his people in all kinds of places where the work is happening that you may not know about on this side of heaven. And no, voices can be silenced and churches can be persecuted. But even in the persecution, man... Faith produces flourishing even through the adversity. And man, the work just keeps going on. The greatest despots in all the world, they cannot stop the work of Jesus Christ. Make it really hard. Make it really difficult. But they can't stop it. No, for 2,000 years, there's been an effort by the God of this world to squinch the work of the gospel. But it can't be stopped. So then number three. Because the power of the despot, whether it's Herod Antipas or any other despot, is inferior to the Savior, the despot should never be allowed to determine the rules by which the disciples of Jesus live their lives. I know that was a mouthful of a point. Say it again. Because the despot is inferior to the power of Jesus Christ, they should never be allowed to determine the rules by which the disciples of Jesus Christ live their lives. Okay, let me just give you a couple examples, and you're going to say, hey, I thought this wasn't a political message. It's not, but I'm just trying to make you see some parallel, and then we're going to take a really sharp right turn and try to make application that will be a help. Okay, we have despots today in our country. Look, I, I don't, I, I do not care, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I don't, I don't have, I, I, I'm not offended by either position. You say, I choose to get a vaccination or I choose to not. That's between you and God. Yep, right. It's called individual choice, personal liberty. Right. You say, I, I will never wear a mask again or I choose to wear a mask sometimes. That's, that's between you and God. Here's my point. Our government doesn't have the authority to invade people's lives and then demand that we inject our children with things that we don't person if we personally have concerns. Nobody's got the authority to tell me to do what, what to do with my children in that in that way. That that that's what I mean by that. And yet there is there is that effort. And you're like, well, it's just it's just for welfare. No, it's not for welfare because entire mobs were allowed to assemble and burn down buildings while churches in this country were fined for even meeting outdoors. You know what that's called? Despotism. That's what that is. The look, you ought to love people wherever they're at. You ought, to, you ought to care about people wherever they're at. I don't care what anybody looks like or what their personal social bent is. Anybody in Sioux Falls or this area ought to be able to come into this church and have, have members of the family of God run to them and love them and offer them a seat. I don't care where they're at, what their bent is, what their identity is, but there is, there is a terrorist 
trans movement that is trying to manipulate children at the highest of levels. And they're passing laws. And I know you're a little further away from this. This is our neighbor. But there were laws passed this past week in California that said parents can go to prison if they do not give in to their children's gender-affirming demands. So my 14-year-old says, hey, Dad, I feel this way. I'm going to go to the doctor. And I say, no, you're not. In California, you can go to jail for that as a parent. And that's going to just keep spreading. You know what that is? That's despotism. That's what it is. So here's, here's my belief about COVID, about my children's God-given sexuality. And by the way, they were created the way they were on purpose. Okay. And, and it's so young people need to be able to work through struggles with godly authority. That's why he gave them godly influences to help them work through. Man, this is such a side note. I'm sorry. But, but you need to recognize that with as much as young people are inundated with that godlessness, there are young people that are going to have struggles. And this needs to be a place where they can be loved and be helped and be shown clarity. Not made fun of, but can be helped by the truth of God. It's good. And young man, just say one, one more thing. If you are struggling, you don't do yourself any good service by not talking to someone because there are people here that love you and care about God's best for your life. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. His power is greater than the power of any despot. It doesn't mean my life won't be inconvenienced. It doesn't mean my life won't be made hard. It doesn't mean there won't be tears. But in the end, there's only one kingdom. And every knee is going to bow. And I've put my faith that when all these things are brought to a reckoning, that by the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be on the winning side. And my faith in him motivates me to say, I'm not letting a despot determine the rules by which I live my life and follow Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what that means. Let me make this statement. I'm not obeying a despot when I have a deliverer. I'm not submitting to a despot when I've been made free by a deliverer. I'm not talking about having a rebellious bad attitude. But when the despots want to contradict the truth of the word of God, I'm going to follow the deliverer. I'm going to follow the ageless one. But there are other kinds of despots. And I could spend the remaining moments talking about issues that I believe there would be, for the most part, agreement on. I'm sure I could find something to make everybody mad about, but... Man, talk about In-N-Out or Freddy's or Chick-fil-A or Raising Cane's or, man, I could, I could find something. I'll poke the bear somewhere to irritate everybody. But and I'd, rather than talking about all of those things, I'd rather talk about where we live on a Wednesday afternoon or on a Saturday morning or on a Monday night when we're really discouraged. You see, there are other despots that we allow to dominate our lives. Despots like pornography. And I'm, I'm convinced about this. That, that, that is such an evil that is pervasive. You're like, why are you talking about on, that on a Wednesday night? Because the statistics and the percentages show that more than likely in just about every church that is still having a Wednesday or midweek service, there's somebody that's struggling with something. 
Now, I don't know what's going on in your life. I just know what the human condition is. And I know the pervasiveness of this country is not getting better. And I know that temptation doesn't take a day off. And I know that you may have victory right now, but you could be facing some serious temptation tomorrow. And I know that with the access on our phones, it is so incredibly accessible. Just the percentage of that, that is now digital. And it's accessible just that. You just have to pick it up. And it's there at the palm of your hand if you're not careful. Yeah. And there are people that are living under the despotism of a habit. Right. It's, not, it's not that you don't know that it's wrong. And then, by the way, it's not just men that struggle with it. It's, it's pervasive everywhere. It just, like, it's just that. You say, oh, well, it's not that. Maybe, it's, maybe there's alcohol, there's drug addiction. You say, really, in a church on a Wednesday night? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe it's not that. Maybe the despotism under which you are living is there's a regret in your life that you can't undo. You've asked God to forgive you, and you've done everything you can to make it right. But the accuser of the brethren continues to come to you and label you with the guilt that you can't undo. And rather than identifying yourself through the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ and the deliverance that he has brought into your life, you are continuing to live under the despotism of a regret that you've been forgiven for. By the way... Brothers and sisters, sometimes we reinforce that despotism in the lives of God's people that he wants to recover. Yeah. See, so what are you talking about? No, they sin, they mess up. They got to go through a process to make it right. But at some point, you got to give people freedom to make it right and stop holding it over their heads. No, I don't mean they, they, they don't need to take the right steps. But we can continue to hold it over them. And some of you are being held bondage by the despotism of a regret. Instead of believing that when Jesus said, I forgive you, he actually, in all reality, meant it. And while you have to deal with the consequences, he wants you to move forward in his grace. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the despotism of bitterness. And I personally, I have no stat to prove this, but personally, based on the counseling that I do and the battles that people face, I would say bitterness is as pervasive as pornography among the people of God. I'm not saying that the hurt isn't real. I'm not saying that the hurt isn't legitimate. I'm not saying forgiveness, by the way, forgiveness doesn't mean you trust somebody completely again. Forgiveness doesn't mean there aren't processes to work through. That's a whole nother message. But you are commanded as a child of God at some point to access the grace of God to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you. That's the standard for it. There's not another standard and there's not an exception. And when Peter said how many times? Seven times seven. Jesus said, yay, 70 times seven. Jesus on the cross set the example, the bar really high when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Joseph himself in the Old Testament demonstrated the forgiveness of the Lamb of God when when he forgave his brothers before he ever trusted them again. You talk about Stephen who was killed in Acts. As he was dying, God, lay not this sin to their charge. And yet you continue to live under the despotism of bitterness. Because you just won't forgive. Maybe it's not bitterness. Maybe it's you want to submit to authority that God's placed in your life. Hey, young people, 
Rebellion guises itself as freedom, but it's really just slavery. My parents aren't going to tell me what to do. Right. But there's a, there's a, whether you believe it or not, a far more evil taskmaster that's waiting to take you into their, arm, into their arms. Yeah. yeah, that's right, man. We need to talk to the kids. Yeah, I probably need to talk to some church attenders too. No, it's, it's not Pastor Jason Jett. And you can say, well, you just say these things because he's your friend. No, I say these things wherever I go. I'll say them wherever. I could have known him for five minutes. I'd still be saying this. No, God, God has given him a responsibility to guide and to lead. He's not the policeman of your life, but he is supposed to lead this church. And in the process of leading that church, there has to be some Holy Spirit-led exercise and use of authority. And the nature of it is not everybody's going to like it all the time. And you're allowed to have your own opinion. You're allowed to take your thoughts home at night. But you are commanded to have a good attitude and to be submitted to the authority that is going to give an account for you one day and yet you live under the despotism of your opinions and your bad attitude and your resentment and man, man I got hurt in another ministry man it's just like y'all know you've learned I like Taco Bell I've been I've been here for three days I've been to Taco Bell two of those days I might hit up some Taco Bell again tonight man I just like me some Taco Bell it's not a healthy diet I'm not claiming it is but I like it I've had bad experiences at Taco Bell but I don't let a bad experience at Taco Bell prevent me from going to another Taco Bell and I'm amazed at the exceptions God's people make for far less valuable things that they won't allow the same grace for a local church. Man, I'm sorry that pastors mess up, and they do. I'm sorry that church members are bitter and vengeful, because they are sometimes. But that doesn't mean that this one is, and that doesn't mean that everyone is. And sometimes you just need to get the chip off your shoulder and humble yourself before God and stop living under a despotism that's going to wreak havoc in your life. On the despotism of fear. And you got this. You got this family festival day coming up. We got, we got food truck friend day coming up. And park food trucks at our church. It's awesome. <laughs> Y'all got this family festival. It's going to be amazing. And yet you're scared to talk to anybody. You know, greater is he that is in you. You're afraid to take a step of faith. You're afraid to give. You're afraid of what people might think in that fear. Here's I'm, I'm going to illustrate this in just a moment, Brother Chad and Brother Wade. Can you make your way up here, please? And Brother Chad, if you'll just stand on this side, and Brother Wade, if you'll stand on this side. We choose to live under despotism when we've been given freedom. Please get this. I'm saying it a specific way. Praise the Lord. If it's helpful, we choose to live under despotism when we've been given freedom under a deliverer. This, this may be a ridiculous illustration. It helped me. So I want to show you. So in these illustrations, you always got to be careful not to think too low of someone, in this case, Brother Wade. Amen. <laughs> or too high of someone, in this case, Brother Chad. Brother Wade is going to represent the despot. And Brother Chad is going to represent the deliverer. So I just, look, just get really comfortable, okay? <laughs> don't be, don't feel awkward. All right, I just need you to wrap me up. No, 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 get it in. Oh, yeah, tuck it. No, tuck, harder, harder. There you go. 
I mean, just feel free to breathe on my ear a little oh, bit okay. if you need to. I just, I, got it. I, got it. I mean, tight, tight. Okay, 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 whatever. <laughs> you know what they, you know what they say, you know, you know what I was when I was born? I was, I was a prisoner to sin. And there was, listen, I, I try to work out, I try to be strong, but there's a certain strength that is greater than my strength. And I mean, I could start acting like a fifth grade girl and try to step on his toes and scream and throw a fit, but I'm not getting free from this without some serious ninja skills that I just don't have. <laughs> you know what I am? I'm under the oppression of a despot. When I got saved, I need you to walk this way, Brother Chad. When I got saved, I recognized two things. I am completely helpless. That's why salvation is not by work. It's not by work because I'm guilty. And it doesn't matter what you're not guilty of. If you're a sinner, you're guilty of being a sinner. And you're under the oppression of the eternal despotism. It being at enmity with God, you are guilty of sin. I'm insufficient. I cannot come to church enough to free myself from this bondage. I cannot do enough good works. I cannot clean, enough, clean up my habits enough. I am under oppression of a despot that is greater than me. But then this is the other point. My, the deliverer is greater. So like, don't really, well, I mean, however much you want, just like kind of punch him in the face. I mean, just, yeah. Okay, now look, now look, no, I, okay, this is where, it, don't, don't make it weird, don't make it weird. No, look, 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 please get this. The terminology, I'm still under, but I'm not under oppression anymore. You know what this is? This is the image of someone who has me. He has taken me. And I still have a tendency to wander, but he's got me. And I can still be rebellious. But he's holding on to me. And here's the truth. Jesus said this. He said in John that my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. They follow me. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. And he goes on to say, they're in my hand. They're in my father's hand. No one is able to take them out of my hand. Amen. He's got you. Here's the final point. And it has nothing to do with salvation. Please get this. Once you're saved, you cannot be unsaved. You cannot lose it. You can't choose to give it up. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But I can choose this. I can say, you know what? Rather than living under my deliverer, I'd rather live under my despot. And some of you are living under despotism in your marriage because you won't humble yourself and live your marriage out the way that Jesus says to. Some of you are living under the despotism of addiction, not because you haven't been delivered, because look, no, seriously, no, you got to let go. Because no, no, seriously, this is, no, he's, the power has been broken. No, he has no power over me anymore unless I give it to him. And it's literally, I am choosing to come along and drape myself in the despotism of someone that Jesus has set me free from. No, I'd rather just hang on to this addiction. No, I'd rather just hang on to this bad attitude. No, I'd rather just hang on to this bitterness because I don't want to live under the deliverance of a deliverer. I love this about the Jesus and the disciples. They said to Herod, he wanted to see them. No, we're not going. We don't play by your rules. And yet there are a whole lot of God's people that are giving in to the despot. Say, here, I'm going to live life your way. Guys, thank you for helping me. Is your life defined by living under the oppression of a defeated despot or by the deliverance 
of a deliverer. I'm not asking, maybe you need to get saved. That's possible. Because salvation is not about being in a church. It's about having a relationship with the Savior. Right. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Do, now, I'm not asking, do you believe about him? Has there been a moment when you recognize I'm a sinner? I can't save myself. Jesus is the only one that can save me. And you believed in him and called on him. That's salvation. Do you have that? If you have it, you can't lose it. But it's very possible to be a born-again child of God and to be choosing to live under a despot because you don't want to submit to the deliverance of a deliverer. And it does require submission. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Is your life defined by the oppression of a despot or the deliverance of the deliverer? Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the piano begins to play, as soon as you're ready, I'm going to ask just a couple of questions. Number one, are you here tonight and you say, I don't know for sure that if I died, I would go to heaven, but I want to know that I'm not sure that I'm saved. But if there is a God who loves me and, and he died to save me, then I want to know that I have eternal life. I want to know that I'm forgiven. Would you please pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but would you just slip your hand up and say, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Please, please pray for me. I won't call you out. I just want to ask God in a generic way. Let me ask this question. You say, I know that I'm saved, but there are areas in my life where I am choosing despotism. I am choosing to yield to the, to allow a Herod to dictate how I live my life rather than yielding to the Savior and allowing his deliverance to characterize how I live my life might be an addiction, might be an attitude, might be an unwillingness to be involved or surrendered, might be a lack of forgiveness, but there's some area in my life where I've got some despotism that I'm choosing to live under and I just need to get under the Savior tonight and I need God's help. Would you pray for me? I wonder if any of God's people would say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I see him going up. Yep, yep, I see, yep. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. All over the place. So can we do this? Can we just respond to the Lord? If God has spoken to you, Two things. Number one, spend the time in prayer. Altars are for any time you need them. But then number two, you need to think while you're praying and ask God. And this is why I want you to pray. I want you to seriously respond to the Lord in prayer. When you pray, ask God what the specific action that you need to take is. It, maybe it need, means you need to ask someone for forgiveness. Young people, maybe it means you need to go have a conversation with your parents. Maybe some of you need to schedule a meeting with your pastor. Some of you need to ask a church member to forgive you. Some of you need to admit that you're struggling. Some of you need to grant forgiveness or you need to surrender something. But if you know there's an area, when you pray tonight, ask God what the specific thing is that you need to do to make this right. Let's all stand together. Brother Jacob, please begin to sing. If God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him right now.